This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Longwoods International, one of the premier research firms in the travel and tourism space in the world. Longwoods produces groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and service to DMOs in areas such as visitor research, advertising effectiveness, image research, and their brand new resident sentiment study. Learn more about Longwoods International at longwoods-intl.com. And now it's on to our show. Today, we welcome Patricia Washington, the CEO of Visit Alexandria. Since arriving in 2012, Patricia led a rebranding effort positioning Alexandria as a destination for leisure and meetings with a rich and diverse history, independent boutiques and restaurants, vibrant arts and culture, and an evolving waterfront as brand pillars. Under her leadership, Visit Alexandria launched three brand campaigns, developed a robust national media relations effort, expanded video, photo, itinerary, and blog content, and increased digital and social media marketing. And as a result of these efforts, visitor spending, hotel occupancy, media stories, and web visits have all risen to record levels under her leadership. Two years ago, she led the launch of the King Street Corridor Initiative, a public-private partnership focused on beautification, programming, and marketing for historic King Street and the waterfront. And as part of that initiative, Patricia secured private sector partners and launched Portside in Old Town Waterfront Programming and a new regional advertising campaign. She serves on the board of the Alexandria Arts Alliance and is part of the Northern Virginia Tourism Partnership, which is comprised of the five Northern Virginia DMOs. Before moving to Alexandria in 2012, Patricia worked for more than a decade as Vice President of Cultural and Heritage Tourism at Visit Philadelphia, where she worked on major citywide history, music, art, and outdoor recreation initiatives. Patricia Washington, welcome to DMOU. So glad to be with you, Bill. It is great to have you on. We have wanted to for months now, and our schedules just couldn't quite jive, but we've got you now, and we're not going to let you go until we get our three questions and our bonus round. You know, in the days before the pandemic, the CEO of Skift and I got into a little online tussle over an article one of his writers penned in January of 2020 that said that 2020 would be the year that the hospitality industry would abandon its efforts in diversity, equity, and inclusion. I called bullshit. He backed his writer. But none of us could have foreseen the events of this past summer that brought the movement front and center. In those days last summer, I saw you on an online panel of black executives, and I was taken by your story. I was taken by your point of view, and thus this invitation to join us on DMOU. So let's get to your first question. You inherited a DMO that had struggled for years with diversity from the images being used in marketing to your staff, to the board makeup. Eight years later, now nine years later, you say that diversity is what you call an institutionalized value. So my question is, is how do you move an organization to more effectively reflect your community's diversity and values in a way that every decision is now akin to muscle memory? Well, first, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this discussion today. As you talked in the introduction, I came into tourism through Philadelphia and Visit Philly. And, you know, Philadelphia was really an early leader in multicultural tourism. So I brought all of that decade plus experience from working on, you know, many different diversity campaigns, black music initiatives, history projects and the like to the CEO job here in Alexandria. So 
how did we move things forward? Well, first, uh, leadership matters. And having a board and city leaders who are committed and continue to be committed to equity and inclusion and committed to tourism and being a place that is welcoming to all, that is and continues to be foundational. Then second was coming to Alexandria and hiring and cultivating a diverse team. I mean, if you hire and cultivate a diverse team of people that shares your vision and stated values while building an environment of respect and trust, you can be confident that your staff will rise to the challenge and always bring the best to the table. And diversity is not just, it's not just the right thing to do, it's a business imperative, especially for our business. It makes us a high-performing, effective organization. And there's no way we could have gone from where we were, you know, eight years ago to being named a top five small city in the U.S. for three consecutive years in a row by Condé Nast Traveler. Yeah. Or generating the kinds of record visiting spending, tax receipts for the city for seven straight years in a row, of course, before covid it's because of just the diversity of our team across ethnicity, race, perspectives, that creates that foundation. So right before Destination International's annual convention this past year, Mike Gamble from Searchwide Global and I penned a treatise, if you will, on board diversity that we had put our heads together during June and, and early July and said, you know, what we f- were feeling was that the boards that underperformed were the ones that were the least diverse. It just felt that way to us. And so we worked on this paper, Destinations International worked with us on it through the DEI committee. And we made the point that it has to start at the board level, that you have to have that buy-in. But that also takes a lot of time. That could take years to fully diversify a board to where you want it to be. Where was it for you? Was it getting the team, the staff component diverse, and then taking time to work with the board? Or was the board really part of a complete reimagination of what this organization was going to be about? No, the board, they were change agents themselves. My board chair at the time, Jody Manor, you know, he came from the LGBTQ community. He was a very strong advocate of progressive tourism development in the city. And so the key members of the board, which included the deputy city manager, now city manager, Mark Jinks, they were looking for a change agent (laughs) to align with the vision of the city, which was also, you know, the city was evolving at the time. So there was an alignment, kind of like there's been in Philadelphia for so long, an alignment of political structure, the city, And our board here in Alexandria, you know, the key members, while they may not have been as diverse as they are today, they understood the importance of diversity and they wanted to get there and they wanted to hire someone who would begin to affect that change. Okay, so you had the seeds in play and that really helped, as we had said in our paper, it starts at the top. And it has to. Getting back to the board conversation, we do have a grid to make our board aware of you know, where we stand with regard to ethnicity, geographic diversity, age diversity, diversity of experience. From an employment standpoint, we're just looking for the best people. <laughs> you know, we bring our networks and we cast a wide net. You know, eight years ago, we were 100% of our staff were Caucasian. Today, 26% of our staff our full-time staff are people of color. 
We didn't set out with the percentage in mind. We just set out to hire the best people based on the excellence that we wanted to create in our organization. You know, as we discussed this episode, you mentioned how odd it was when you came on board to represent a destination that's primary message was history to the point that the destination was marketing itself as the home of both George Washington and Robert E. Lee. Now, one could attempt to say that that meant that Alexandria has something for everyone. In reality, it disenfranchised many. You and your team saw the opportunity to shift the message from history to hip. So tell us about that transformation. Well, we started with research and an inclusive process that involved over 100 of our industry partners in the development of a new brand. Cool. And so what evolved out of this you know, interviews with over 100 people in our community was a brand that included history, but it was plus our city's contemporary assets that had been under-promoted, our burgeoning restaurant scene, our indie boutiques, our evolving waterfront our walkability and proximity to D.C. And at the time, the waterfront especially was increasingly important because the city had gone through the passage of a major waterfront plan and a new park was going to be opening on the waterfront. And so the city was poised and ready (laughs) for um, new marketing, uh, new image, kind of the image building that the city needed to align with this new direction and new tourism development that was coming online. So we worked with our ad agency. And one of the things we did was, you know, we had to select diverse talent for our campaigns. First, we began hiring talent from our own community. There's a concept. (laughs) Models, musicians. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, everybody does it. But, you know, we were very involved and intentional with our ad agency with regard to casting, and we continue to be. And I'm so proud of the fact that today our paid advertising and marketing campaigns are so strongly diverse that 80% of Visit Alexandria's streaming videos include, you know, a Black actor as the lead. That's 8 out of 10. Mm -hmm. 83% of our print ads include Black representation, and 50% of our digital banners include Black representation. So it's clearly an integral value and practice, and it's part of what we do. So destinations have struggled for a long time, regardless of the Civil War ramifications of history or the Revolutionary War. I worked with a destination that was where the British landed uh, in the War of 1812 as they made their way to the capital to burn it down. And nobody remembers the War of 1812, nor cares. There's been this kind of feeling that history isn't quite the hook that it once was. And you said you're moving from history to hip. Can you make history hip? We can make history compelling. We can make history inclusive. We can make history resonate with people's experience more. And I think that's what, you know, our partners at our museums and Office of Historic Alexandria have been endeavoring to do. Our history remains a core pillar, but it's more of a backdrop. It's not like we have one major attraction, and that is the big attraction for African-American history. And history as a whole, of course, we have Mount Vernon right down the road, (laughs) and we are, Alexandria is the adopted hometown of George Washington. But again, you know, people are 
interested in history. They're interested in how those stories connect to the present. How does Black Lives Matter and the social unrest that we're seeing, how does that connect back? Mm -hmm. There are more books on history being sold today than ever before because people's consciousness have been raised. There's a real interest in wanting to understand the diverse experiences and wanting to connect in in new ways. And so we're feeding that demand. (laughs) It's an opportunity. It's an exciting opportunity to broaden the story, broaden the experiences for people. I couldn't agree more. It isn't that history isn't hip, and I think that it is for a lot of us. It's just not interpreted very well in a lot of places. I often refer back to years ago, I don't even know if if it's still there, but in the War Museum in London, England, uh, when I was there, they had a World War I trench in which you actually walked through it, and they pumped the smells of war, and you saw big flashes of light, and you lived it. I mean, you actually lived it. And that's the kind of stuff that makes history fun and interesting and an attraction. Like you're saying, it's a wonderful backdrop for a destination like Alexandria. How do we interpret it in a more meaningful way? And that really gets us to our third question, because as much as you have kind of shifted the message, your community's credibility is still founded on its history. Mm -hmm. While it's no longer your lead, you've partnered with your museums to ensure that the articulation of the story can help people understand uh, our tortured past and learn about our similarities. Tell us about the role that the DMO has taken in working with your museums, with your heritage in that effort. Well, we help to create themes, context, um, provide um, the marketing support. We're amplifiers and partners. We've partnered on grants to um, promote new stories. So there's multiple ways that we've been partnering with our museums and history partners. When I started, we had one African-American history brochure in print, and that was out of print at the time. Now we have many ways to access African-American history based on how you like your history. We have an eight-site driving tour. We have a new African-American waterfront heritage trail that you can pull up on your phone with a cool interactive story map of 11 sites. Mm -hmm. We have a Duke Street Black History Trail where you can walk five or six blocks along this one uh, main street in Old Town. That's part of our Great Walks program. We have new interpretive kiosks, the newest of which commemorates the 1967 Supreme Court decision Loving v. Virginia, which legalized interracial marriage. So we have a number of those 20th century stories that have been undertold. A lot of people know a lot about our Revolutionary War history, our colonial history, and our Civil War history, but our 20th century history is one of the things that we're really diving into and doing more to interpret. And then we've also leveraged pop culture opportunities, like the national PBS series Mercy Street. It was inspired by real events of the Civil War in Alexandria, And so we did a host of experiences talking about different aspects of Alexandria and the Civil War, because we were occupied during the Civil War. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was a really interesting story. So we were able to um, look at the Civil War from African-American abolitionists, from people who were on both sides of the war effort and soldiers' effort. So it was a really interesting opportunity to leverage that opportunity. The same with loving the movie, the 2016 film. 
And we've had new sites. For example, the city of Alexandria purchased from the Northern Virginia Urban League Freedom House in 2020. And this was a site of one of the largest slave trading organizations in the country at the time in the 1800s. Right now they're renovating and they're going to be reopening with a whole new exhibit this summer called Determined, the 400-Year Struggle for Black Equality. So we're opening new sites that are of national importance, like Freedom House, as well as providing different ways uh, to present history to people through technology, through immersive experiences, and through walks and the like. So when you came on the scene, how open were your museums to your vision for how to re-articulate what was going on? Because in my experience, and this is really not a shot at people at museums, well, maybe it is, but they know what they know and they know this has worked in the past and they're reticent oftentimes to change it up. How did you get them to embrace your vision? I think it was a matter of resources, you know, being under-resourced. We're very blessed to have a staff of museum professionals working in a city-supported museum system that is accredited. (laughs) So we have great professionals as the tourism organization that we work with, but they just need resources to digitize the collections, to create new programming and exhibits. And I think with new interest in history and with the Black Lives Matter movement providing momentum and those resources through grants, through city support are coming to the fore and enabling our museums to do more innovative um, programming. I think that's changing, but there's definitely been an openness and a willingness to try new things and to work with us and to be flexible and change on a dime. That, I mean, if anything that we've learned from the pandemic is about the importance of being flexible and adaptable. Yeah, absolutely. We market this as three questions in a bonus round, but I'm going to break the rule because I got one more. <laughs> okay, go <laughs> with for your it. your permission, yeah. <laughs> you just said the word momentum. And I think that that is what I've been sensing throughout the pandemic, throughout the summer of 2020, uh, that this is a moment in time that cannot be wasted. For your peers around the nation, around the continent, around the world, how would you advise them to take control of the momentum that is there to do the kinds of things you've done? This is a time to seize the moment. Before this time, I've been in that same situation where, now is this the right time to do this? Is this the right time to present this, to push for this? Now the doors are open and there's such strong momentum. You know, seize the opportunity Go for those big ideas, those big exhibits, big ideas. Go for funding, because I think there's a lot of funding out there. People are looking for projects. The media is also looking for programming, exhibits, where people can experience history in a more inclusive, compelling way. So I would just recommend everyone to take out their list of big ideas and work on it and do it. Yeah. There's a real reception to it right now. There's a great opportunity. And I've been, you know, I've been working on diversity marketing for a long time. It's part of who I am. And, you know, I just feel uh, truly that there is this great opportunity for change for real. (laughs) And I see it happening in our own city of Alexandria, um, real change 
um, real uh, systemic change. And I think that's what's different than the way things were a few years ago. We're talking about systemic change. We're talking about not just talking the talk, but creating institutional change. And if we can do it in you know, a smaller city, a small DMO <laughs> in Virginia, <laughs> I challenge my colleagues to do it where you are. Start where you are with the stories, with the history, with those compelling experiences. Talk to your communities. There's so many first voice interpretation and stories to bring to the fore. That's another component is tapping into your local historians and your local communities who are the keepers of these stories and this history and engage them in the process of bringing this history to life in new ways. Couldn't agree more. Carpe diem, right? That's right. (laughs) So it's time for your bonus round question. It has been, obviously, for all of us, a very crazy year and sensationally trying times for those of us in hospitality, travel, uh, and destination leadership. A lot of our peers, for some reason, have acquired new pets. So here's my question for you. What have you done to stay sane and calm during these trying times? We have a program called Great Walks. Well, I love to go out and walk and do some retail therapy. We have great independent boutiques. And what I love about indie boutiques is that, you know, you can go in and chat with the owner and get advice and catch up. And so, you know, I walk over and as I'm on my walks, you know, to the riverfront, I pass by a number of our shops and boutiques and I'm able to do some retail therapy at the same time I'm doing my exercise. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I wish I had the revenues to to do more of that (laughs) therapy. (laughs) It was funny. I was talking with Gary Sherwin the other day um, out in Newport. California. And he said one of the things that has kind of been on his mind recently is that, you know, not only have we, by working remotely, lost a little bit of our culture, of our office culture, because we're not hanging out and ideating together. He goes, but the other thing that we're losing is, is he says, we're not driving into town from our respective places where we live. And so we don't know what's open and what's closed, what's new, What's changed because we're not driving by it or walking by it every day. And I think that that's perfect for what you're doing, that you're out there, is you can see what changes and that you can bring that intel back and then, of course, broadcast it to the world through the DMO. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the benefits of having a walkable downtown. It's definitely an asset. And what's interesting, you know, we just had a program for our members called What's New in 2021. So even in the midst of a pandemic, Bill, we have 30 new restaurants and shops that are opening in 2021. Wow. Yeah, that's great. We will get through this pandemic. We'll get through this challenge together and we'll get to the other side of it. And we'll take like the silver lining lessons and what we've learned from it into hopefully a new, you know, new, more unified country. That's what inspires me about this work is it's creating connections between people, between cities and cultures, and that's what we do for a living. And, um, and I think that will be more important than ever as we move into 2021 and 2022 and recover from the pandemic. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Patricia, thank you so much for blessing us with your insights. We love the way you think, and we love the way that you lead your community forward. Well, thanks for inviting me to be part of the show. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. 
Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Longwoods International, the producers of groundbreaking research, thought leading insights and excellent counsel and service to DMOs. You can find more at longwoods-intl.com. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find more on our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, our position papers on board diversity and the future of destination marketing, our blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as past episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. The executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.